0: This is The Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo.
1: Support this podcast by joining the independent progressive media revolution today at humanistreport.com.
0: Welcome to The Humanist Report Podcast. My name is Mike Figueroa, and this is the 106th episode of the program. Today is August 3rd, and before we get into the news, I want to take a moment to thank all of these kind individuals that decided to sign up to support us either through patreon or paypal so this week we have benjamin reinhardt c buck devin kirsten dora elizabeth luna rivera joshua ray Kim D. Luck, Nathan Russell, Rich Zito, Sean Wince, and Stephanie Compton. So, thank you so much to all of these individuals. Big shout-outs to all of them. Uh, if you'd like to join the Independent Progressive Media Revolution and support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash humanistreport or visit humanistreport.com. So, on today's episode, we've got a lot of pretty lengthy stories. So first, the Democratic establishment and party loyalists are now outraged that progressives aren't lining up behind Kamala Harris. Also, Bernie Sanders proposes a new rule that would bring down the cost of prescription drugs and potentially save the country billions. And on the topic of Bernie Sanders, his 2018 challenger has decided to abruptly quit. So I'll talk about that. Also, Cory Booker introduced a bill that could lead to nationwide marijuana legalization. And the Yes Men are back, and their newest prank victim is none other than the DNC. So I'll talk about that. Additionally, CNN's Jake Tapper spreads misinformation about single-payer healthcare, and Nancy Pelosi went on Fox News to defend the Democratic Party's Better Deal platform. And finally, in this episode, conservatives had a meltdown over a gay cartoon. Talk about triggered. So all of these topics will be covered in today's episode. Let's go ahead and jump right in. Hopefully you guys all enjoy the show. The Democratic Party's donors have already coalesced around Kamala Harris, And they want her to be the Democratic Party's presidential nominee in 2020. And they think that she can defeat Donald Trump. Now, the problem with party elites unilaterally trying to dictate who goes up against the Republican is that we've played this game before and it doesn't end well for the party establishment. So obviously, in 2016, the establishment tried to shove Hillary Clinton down our throats. And before we even had the chance to cast our votes for anyone... They decided that Hillary Clinton wasn't just the Democratic Party's nominee, but the next president of the United States. You can't do that anymore. You can't just say, well, Trump is bad and the Republicans are bad, so you have to vote for our candidate. You should have learned that we don't do that. It doesn't work that way. And some people who are a little bit more politically astute within the, at least, media establishment are noticing that you don't get to call the shots anymore if you're a Democratic Party elite, and if you want to win, if you are a Democrat, that's Serious about running for president, then you have to appeal to progressives. Now, in an article by Andrew Joyce of Mike titled Democratic Rising Star Kamala Harris Has a Bernie Land Problem. He recognized a problem that the donor class and centrist Democrats don't want to see. So he states, Freshman Senator Kamala Harris has recently become the subject of much speculation about a potential 2020 presidential run. Several major news outlets have run feature-length profiles of Harris, and top Democratic donors are starting to coalesce around her as their preferred candidate to take on President Donald Trump. But not everyone on the progressive left is feeling Harris fever. And if the senator wants to win the Democratic presidential primary in three years, she'll have to start making inroads with a growing grassroots movement that remains highly skeptical of Harris's progressive bona fides. Nomiki Konst, a Bernie Sanders supporter who serves on the Democratic National Committee's unity commission, had three words for Democrats interested in Harris as a candidate. Follow the money. The Democrats will not win unless they address income inequality, no matter how they dress up their next candidate, Consta said. If that candidate is in bed with Wall Street, you may as well lay a tombstone out for the Democratic Party now. Voters are smart. They can follow the money constant skepticism about Harris's alleged ties to Wall Street and insufficient commitment to populist economic issues reflect a broader trend among the residents of Bernie Land. In a recent New York Times profile of Harris, another high profile Sanders supporter, executive director of National Nurses United, Roseanne DeMauro, dismissed Harris' prospects as a progressive 2020 contender, saying she's not on our radar. There are reasons for the suspicions about Harris's fealty to big financial interests. Despite opposing the nomination, of Treasury Secretary and former Wall Street titan Steve Mnuchin in a previous life as California Attorney General, Harris was criticized for essentially letting Mnuchin's bank off the hook during the foreclosure crisis. In 2013, prosecutors in her office drafted a memo that claimed they had uncovered evidence suggestive of widespread misconduct at Mnuchin's One West Bank. According to The Intercept's David Dayan, who first reported the memo, those prosecutors recommended Harris file a civil enforcement action against the bank. Instead, Harris did nothing. Later, it was revealed that Harris was the only 2016 Democratic Senate candidate to receive a donation from Mnuchin. So even though we don't know much about Kamala Harris with respect to policy, she's proven time and again that that donors influence her decisions, and there's a reason why the Democratic Party's donors are so excited about Kamala Harris, because presumably, they found their next big puppet. You know, Hillary Clinton and the Clintons in general served the Democratic Party elite class for so long, and now that Hillary Clinton lost, they're looking for their next puppet. Now, of course, in response to this article, there has been mass outrage by neoliberals and Democratic Party loyalists, or, you know, otherwise as hacks, who don't like the fact that we are skeptical about Kamala Harris. Neera Tandon tweeted, So odd, no, that these folks have it in for Kamala Harris and Cory Booker. Hmm. So Sarah Lerner tweets that, I've noticed a certain segment of the left feels threatened when women start to outshine other leaders. And she's probably referring to Bernie Sanders. And she states Hillary, Maxine, Kamala, Nancy, Elizabeth, etc. But they totally vote for a woman, just not that woman. Now Andy Zeisler states, 2016, I totally vote for a woman, just not Hillary Clinton. 2017, I totally vote for a woman, um, but not this one either. Now Peter Dowd tweeted out, to anyone who wonders why I continue to criticize Bernie and his diehards, they're already trying to damage a rising Democratic Party star. Joanne Reed also just dismissed the article altogether because it apparently quoted alt-left activists, and I don't know what that means, but because they quoted alt-left activists, then we shouldn't listen to what what they have to say now brian fallon who was part of hillary clinton's 2016 campaign states if you are attacking harris right now the problem is you not her okay nobody's attacking kamala harris Nobody. We're not saying fuck Kamala Harris. Nobody's said that thus far. We're saying we're skeptical of Kamala Harris. One, because for some reason, the donor class are lining up behind Kamala Harris, and that raises a lot of red flags in our heads. And furthermore, she hasn't done anything to prove to us that she's progressive. What little we know about Kamala Harris thus far is problematic. So I'm sorry, but nobody's attacking her. By questioning her, we're being objective. We're saying, look, if you want to run for president, prove to us that you have a reason other than the Democratic Party's donors think you should run. Now, this notion that progressives are sexist is idiotic for a multitude of reasons first of all we already voted for a woman i voted for jill stein many progressives voted for jill stein so this notion that we are unwilling to vote for a woman just because of the female gender is something that makes us uncomfortable it's bullshit we voted for jill stein and we have more female rising stars than the neoliberals have including tulsi gabbard elizabeth warren nina turner amy valetta Paula Swearingen, Cory Bush, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Sarah Smith, Adrian Bell. I mean, these are just some of the more widely known progressives that are cultivating a huge following within the progressive community. But yet, they're claiming that we're sexist and we don't like Kamala Harris and Hillary Clinton because we're sexist. When that's bullshit. You are really dumb. For real. Now, to be fair, Kamala Harris doesn't seem... Um, as bad as Hillary Clinton, just in terms of, you know, the sheer level of corruption, but that's a really, really low bar. And besides her refusal to prosecute Steve Mnuchin, presumably because he paid her not to, there's many reasons why progressives just aren't that into Kamala Harris at least thus far. So when she was California's Attorney General, she spent a lot of political capital trying to block a transgender inmate from undergoing gender reassignment surgery. Now according to the Washington Blade, Harris penned a 29-page request to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals to put a stay on the procedure, stating there is no evidence that irreversible treatment is immediately necessary before this appeal can be heard and the factual record can be fully developed in a proceeding on remand. Now, when the judge denied her request, citing the Eighth Amendment, stating that not allowing this inmate to have gender reassignment surgery would be cruel and unusual punishment, because it is, Harris then appealed his decision and tried to circumvent that ruling by asking the district court to halt the procedure. Now, when the district court also denied her request, she then took it up with the Ninth Circuit. Now, it's not like this happened decades ago. This occurred back in 2015. Now, admittedly, we don't have all the details about this story. We don't necessarily know that Kamala Harris is unequivocally against transgender inmates receiving gender reassignment surgery. It could just be that there were specific reasons why she didn't want this inmate to have gender reassignment surgery. But I mean, if you're a progressive, you believe that inmates should be treated humanely. Now, for whatever reason, Kamala Harris, who is a so called LGBT ally, was hellbent on blocking this transgender inmate from getting gender reassignment surgery. And she has yet to say why, or at least substantively, why she was against this so vocally, and why she risked damaging her credibility among the LGBT community in California— to stop this person from having gender reassignment surgery so for someone that claims to be an ally to the lgbt community this doesn't seem like something an ally would do now furthermore for someone who talks about the need for criminal justice reform treating prisoners humanely is a crucial component of criminal justice reform now on another really important issue to progressives single-payer she's often given credit for being in support of a medicare for all system but we don't actually know where she stands on this particular issue she stated before that she she believes healthcare is a right, but this is a line used by even people like Nancy Pelosi and Tom Perez and Ruben Keewen, all of which are corporate Democrats that aren't just opposed to single payer, but they're actively fighting against it. So she doesn't get credit for being in support of a Medicare for all system when she only states now that she believes healthcare is a right. That's a term that neoliberals have co-opted from progressives. And just because they state that they think healthcare is a right doesn't mean that they support single-payer. Here's what she said about single-payer thus far. As a concept, I'm completely in support of single-payer, but we've got to work out the details and the details matter on that. Uh, And that's it. (laughs) That's all she's really stated about single-payer directly. Um, And all we know is that she is in favor of the concept of single pair whatever that means but when push comes to shove she's given herself enough wiggle room to not actually support single pair in fact i would argue that she's given herself even more wiggle room than nancy pelosi because nancy pelosi as corporatist and corrupt as she is she just states that she's in favor of single pair but she doesn't want to pursue it but kamala harris isn't even going that far she's only saying i'm in favor of the concept of single pair What does that even mean? Do you support single-payer or not? Well, I'll tell you. If you are not coming out in favor of single-payer and just giving a full-throated endorsement of it, then you're not in favor of single-payer. That's how neoliberals operate. They try to do this tap dance around the issue because they don't want to tell you no, but they don't want to tell you yes. And they give you just this ridiculous answer that means nothing. So, she doesn't get credit for being in favor of single-payer because she's in favor of the concept of single-payer. We don't know where she stands on this issue. And if she really wanted to appeal to progressives, she would have come out swinging in favor of single-payer, especially after seeing some of the new polls that were released that showed that a majority of Americans, including a a plurality of Republicans, support single-payer. So, in other words, she doesn't support single-payer. And look, I've got really bad news for Kamala Harris and any other potential 2020 Democratic presidential candidate, if you don't support Medicare for all, and I mean really support it, then you will not get my vote. I will either vote for someone that I'm writing in or vote third party. You don't get my support if you don't support single payer. I'm not willing to negotiate at all on this issue. And I think a lot of progressives are with me here. But according to Kamala Harris, I'm just being a purist and I'm being unreasonable because she really doesn't seem to be too keen on all these purists in the party because she previously stated, we can't afford to be purists. You have to ask that question of yourself. Are we going to be purists to this resistance to the point that you let these guys go, meaning Republicans, or can you understand that you may not agree with 50% of their policy positions, but I can guarantee you will disagree with 100% of their replacements policy positions. So that is part of the question. What do we have to do in this movement to be pragmatic? So what she's saying here is, guys, we can't afford to be purists because we've got to beat Donald Trump. But she's got it backwards. We can't afford to be corporatists because that will demoralize the base and then they will stay home as a result and guess what's going to happen donald trump will be given a second term once again due to democratic incompetence so don't give me this bullshit about purity tests it's nonsense Actually, stand up for what you believe in or what the party should believe in and do what the base wants you to do. Come out in favor of campaign finance reform and single payer health care. But here's the thing here's a message to people who are outraged about progressive skepticism with Kamala Harris, and here's a message to Kamala Harris as well. You know, you have three years until the 2020 presidential election. Rather than trying to beat us over the head preemptively before we even cast our votes, why don't you try something differently because that last strategy didn't work why don't you actually try to win us over for a change here's an idea why don't you renounce the large multinational corporations that have already bought you off why don't you choose to not have a super back? why don't you choose to come out in favor of legalizing marijuana come out in favor of single-payer healthcare and try to win us over and prove to us that you care about these issues that the base and grassroots activists have been fighting for why don't you try that instead of trying to Force us to fall in line behind you when we really don't like you because we know we can't trust you because you're too cozy with Wall Street and the Democratic Party's donors. Why don't you try that? But they don't want to try that. They're already calling us racist, sexist, Bernie bros for not supporting Kamala Harris. And again, we've seen how the story plays out. You tried that with Hillary Clinton. She lost and they're trying the same strategy again. They're doubling down on a failed strategy. So Einstein is the one that said the definition of insanity is trying the same thing and expecting different results. Well, here's an idea. Stop being fucking corrupt and maybe we'll actually support you. It's really that simple. Senator Bernie Sanders is doing what is long overdue. So he is introducing legislation to not only reduce the cost of prescription drugs in the United States, because as you all know, we pay more than any other country when it comes to medication. And Besides reducing the cost of prescription drugs, he's also attempting to curtail the power that pharmaceutical companies have over the United States. So Alexander Kaufman of the Huffington Post explains, Senator Bernie Sanders plans to propose a new rule Monday that would require pharmaceutical companies to charge fair prices for drugs developed with taxpayer-backed research. The rule, introduced as an amendment to the 1938 Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, would force federal agencies and federally funded non profits such as research universities to secure a reasonable pricing agreement from a manufacturer before granting it exclusive rights to make drugs, vaccines, or other healthcare products. The bill is Sanders' latest attempt to stop the Department of Defense from awarding drug maker Sanofi Pasteur an exclusive license to produce a Zika vaccine developed over the past year by the United States Army. The mosquito-borne virus is sexually transmitted and causes devastating birth defects. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention recorded 181 cases in U.S. states this year alone, with another 532 reported in U.S. territories, such as Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Sanders' bill faces dim prospects of becoming law. The deep-pocketed pharmaceutical industry has cultivated powerful allies in both parties, despite Democrats' recently released platform taking aim at drug prices. In January, 13 Democrats joined 39 Republicans to vote down a bill designed to lower prescription drug prices. Among them was Senator Cory Booker, a rising star in the party with potential 2020 presidential ambitions who said during an NPR interview last month that he put a pause on fundraising from drug companies because it arouses so much criticism. He later joined onto a joint effort with Sanders to support the import of lower cost prescription drugs from overseas. So to me, this legislation is just common sense. There's really no reason to oppose it unless you're just a shill for the pharmaceutical industry and have been bought off. Because if there's only one company that has the exclusive rights to manufacture a particular drug, then we need to make sure we do everything to prevent them from extorting consumers and even extorting governments. Because we've seen from various reports that Big Pharma is literally trying to blackmail governments and they're basically saying, look, if you don't accept the cost increase that we are imposing on you then we're just not going to sell you the drug and your citizens who need it will die so that's basically the way that they're playing this game so if we can curtail the power that they have then we should be doing that and really having the ability to import drugs from not just canada but even mexico would be a game changer for people who depend on these drugs but look don't take my word for it so david sirota of the international business times reports that cbo estimates that the change would in total reduce federal government drug spending by more than 6.8 billion over 10 years including a reduction of 5.1 billion in direct spending and roughly 1.7 billion in increased revenue under existing law drug makers are permitted to produce pharmaceuticals abroad and then import them into the United States, where on average, they charge Americans the highest prices for medicines in the world. However, while drug makers themselves are allowed to import medicines, current law prohibits U.S. consumers and pharmaceutical wholesalers from doing so, even when the same medicines are sold at much lower prices abroad. So this is huge. This is really huge. And it's absolutely something that we need to pass. But of course, you know, I'm sure that you won't be surprised to know that there are not just Republicans, but also Democrats who are currently trying to fight Bernie Sanders on this particular bill. And the last time the government intervened to try to curtail the costs of prescription drugs... George H.W. Bush was president, so that was a very long time ago, and towards the end of Clinton's last term in office in 2000, when Democrats proposed a bill that would actually allow us to import drugs from other countries, like Bernie Sanders did, Bill Clinton decided to kill it. And can you take a guess at what his reasoning was? Well, I mean, we can't import drugs from Canada, because how are we going to know that you know, they're safe? I mean, we can't sacrifice our stringent regulatory standards for lower prices. I mean, that's the argument. Sorry, but I don't believe that Canada's regulatory standards are less stringent than ours. If anything, they're probably better. So look, this bill is long overdue, and I really want you guys to do something here. I want you to pay attention to the politicians that support it and don't support it because i would argue that you know it's probably the case that if they don't support this bill it's because they've taken a large amount of contributions from pharmaceutical companies both domestic and international so again i want to emphasize that there's no good reason to oppose this bill unless you've been bought off unless you are a shill for the pharmaceutical industry so In proposing this bill, Bernie Sanders isn't just fighting for us, but he's really making a lot of Republicans and Democrats show their cards. Who do you side with? Well, Democrats before, you know, shamelessly enough, like Bill Clinton, they proved that they are with the pharmaceutical companies that are screwing us over and extorting us and blackmailing governments. But now we're paying attention more so than ever before. So if Democratic senators and House members oppose this legislation, uh, and Republicans do, We'll know where you stand and best believe we will be doing everything we can to kick you out of office. We recently learned that bernie sanders is facing a challenger in 2018 now his opponent is actually pretty outspoken his name is john Svetosky and he is an avowed hillary clinton loyalist and he's running almost an exclusively anti bernie sanders platform so in a recent segment of the show we talked about what we knew about john and he refers to bernie sanders as bank fraud bernie and he thinks that the FBI's investigation into Bernie Sanders' wife should disqualify him from office, although he was a vocal supporter of Hillary Clinton who was under investigation during her presidential campaign, so I don't need to point out the hypocrisy there. But he also blames Bernie Sanders for Donald Trump, and he also lambasts Bernie Sanders for being a celebrity. And like other Clintonistas, he's also implying that Bernie Sanders, of course is sexist and he tweeted out a link to a blog that claims that Bernie Sanders has a terrible attitude towards women. So, like other Democrats, he's using identity politics to smear Bernie Sanders and he's implying heavily that Bernie Sanders is a sexist. But, you know, I'm actually glad that John brought up identity politics because I have some questions for John about identity politics for himself. So, I'm wondering why, if he cares so much about women, why he's against abortion, because he actually made a post about his disagreement with Hillary Clinton on this particular issue. And also in 2016, he made overtly transphobic comments saying, quote, So if a lady boy in high school wants to shower with the girls, we'll just take his word for it? And in 2015, he stated that he disagrees with homosexuality. He also defended Billy Graham, who is an anti-gay televangelist, when Graham spoke out against the, quote, in-your-face portion of the gay rights movement. But that's not all. He also referred to Ben Carson, Herman Cain, and Condoleezza Rice as, quote, Oreos, and when it comes to Condoleezza Rice, he actually stated that she quote, should be arrested, tried fairly, then hung by the neck till she dies and rots in hell, and so shall it will be, for justice will be done when she stands before God and Jesus unless she repents, confesses, turns and humbles herself before him. Now, of course, after learning all of these awful things about John, I concluded that he was an unhinged joke of a candidate that had no chance of winning because he, you know, everything about him it just didn't seem like he was a serious actor uh there was no campaign infrastructure he had no website for his campaign i mean there was just nothing no effort there and all he would do was tweet out mean things about bernie so i i just I couldn't see how there was any way he had a chance. And now, not too long after we learned about John Svitasky, he made this announcement via Twitter about his campaign. So as of August 1st of 2017, at exactly 11.23 a.m., John announced that he is dropping out of the race, stating the Svitasky campaign is terminated. And he has since renamed his campaign's official Twitter page, Hillary 2020. (laughs) (laughs) That's really sad. (laughs) That's really, really sad. Look, even if you are a Hillary Clinton loyalist and you love Hillary Clinton, to want her to run in 2020 makes no sense if you claim to be as opposed to Trump as you actually are, because Hillary Clinton already lost to Donald Trump, and recent polls show that she would still lose to Donald Trump if you could rehold the election again. So, that makes no sense to me whatsoever, but of course, after he made this announcement, the internet took the time to respond in the way, you know, the internet typically responds to things that are funny. They mocked him relentlessly, and I just want to, you know, take a moment here and scroll through all of these <laughs> responses to his announcement, I mean, I don't think there was one, you know, response that was showing support to John. All of the replies were just memes. And again, I, I really want to, I want to take a moment to commend all of the memes here because they were on point. I love each and every single one of them. And you know, I, I mean, if you watch this show, you know I love good memes, right? And I think that the responses here, they just, the memes just propelled them to a new level. So, I mean, they range from, funny to amazing in terms of the responses i think it's safe to say that his campaign has kind of become a meme in its own right and it's not just twitter i mean prior to this announcement his campaign um anytime they'd make a post on facebook there would be a ton of responses with just memes making fun of him because he plays cookie jam a lot um and one patriot posted This photo on his page, on basically every single post (laughs) that he made, titled, What to do with your Hillary. 1. Unwrap your Hillary. (laughs) 2. Moisten your Hillary with a water-based lubricant, such as KY Jelly. (laughs) (laughs) 3. Lie on your left side and bend your knee towards your chest. Gently... gently push your Hillary into, (laughs) gently push your Hillary into the rectum deep enough that it will not come out. And, (laughs) and he posted (laughs) this on, on everything, on everything. Um, yeah. So, I mean, even though (laughs) clearly I didn't support the campaign of John Fantoski without him, we wouldn't get (laughs) <laughs> we wouldn't get the memes and the hilarity that ensued from this jokester. You know, uh, so, wow. So, look, here's what I'll say to John, if you're watching this, John. Um, Even though your attempt to primary Bernie Sanders failed, um, and your campaign was just overtaken by memes, um, look, taking on the most popular politician in the country is no small task, so I can at least commend you on being brave enough to do that, but... This is, you know, a message not just for you John but for other people. If you if you want to run for Congress, I mean you've got to have a message. You've got to have a reason to run. You can't just have a campaign that was catalyzed exclusively because You hate a particular politician. I mean, I dislike a lot of politicians, but there are policy differences that I have that makes me opposed to their campaign. So, I mean, if you're going to run, you've got to have a reason to run. The American people have got to believe that you are willing to stand up and fight for them, but John didn't give us anything to believe that he cared, nor did he give us anything to make us believe that he was a serious actor, I mean, he just was running on, I hate Bernie Sanders, he is bank fraud Bernie, he's a celebrity, and the people of Vermont deserve better, even though, I mean, he gets elected with these ridiculously wide margins, so... I will say this, you know, since John went back to being a private citizen again, I think that we should leave him alone. You know, no more memes, you know, just let him be, you know, let him let him enjoy his life. I, You know, I, I honestly hold no ill will towards John, and I, and I really mean that, honestly. So, I mean, I don't know if we're ever going to hear from John again, but if not, look, I, I truly wish you nothing but the best. I think that politically, you need to think about whether or not you care more about policies or politicians, and it really seems to me that you care more about politicians like hillary clinton you support her no matter what even though on your facebook page you voiced disagreements with her in the past so i mean look just really and this goes to all clinton supporters think about the policies and why you really support someone so you know i I wish john nothing but the best you know if you want to challenge bernie sanders you're really going to have to be on your game and john certainly was not on his game So, this week, one of the most brazenly corrupt, out-of-touch, pro-corporate politicians in the Democratic Party did something that was pretty uncharacteristic. He actually proposed legislation that the American people want. Now, this individual is surprisingly Cory Booker. Now, Herman Lopez of Vox explains, a new bill in the Senate would not just end the federal prohibition of marijuana, but encourage states to legalize pot as well. The bill, proposed by Senator Cory Booker on Tuesday, would remove marijuana from the federal scheduling system, which is the basis for its federal criminalization. That isn't new in the Senate. Senator Bernie Sanders, for one, also put forward a bill that would deschedule marijuana back in 2015. The <laughs> Where Booker's bill goes further is it actively encourages states to legalize cannabis. Specifically, the bill leverages federal funds to incentivize legalization in states that have enforced laws against marijuana in a way that disproportionately impacts low-income people and people of color, a category that includes virtually every state. A 2015 report from the Sentencing Project for One estimated that black Americans are 3.7 times as likely to be arrested for marijuana possession as their white counterparts, but only 1.3 times as likely to use pot. The measure addresses two layers of prohibition. Under current federal law, pot remains illegal even in states that have legalized, creating big barriers to states that have legalized, including restrictions on business tax deductions and access to banking. But whether marijuana is legal, decriminalized, or illegal at the state or local level is decided through state or local law, meaning that a city or state could conceivably keep marijuana illegal even if the federal government removes all its own restrictions. So, for me personally, I'll just say that I would prefer that this bill goes even further. Because I would like that instead of just encouraging states to legalize marijuana, that it just mandates that all 50 states legalize recreational marijuana. But at the same time, this is still good public policy. I mean, it's fiscally sound and it would benefit these states. It would allow them to legalize marijuana and then take in a huge amount of revenue in tax dollars. Uh, It would stimulate the economy. It would be good for them. It's good public policy. So, you know, I'm someone who always puts policy above the politician. So I like good policy regardless if the politician that proposes is someone who I typically dislike, and Cory Booker here, I mean, I've got to give him credit where credit is due, so I mean, this is the right move, but nonetheless, I was still curious as to why Cory Booker decided to do this, and initially, I chalked this up to him just trying to pander to progressives because he's going to be running for president in 2020, Uh, but it's actually a little bit more deeper than that. Uh, and it really goes back to him being corrupt. I mean, nothing has changed here because presumably you'd think that he turned a new leaf, but in actuality, in doing this, he's still doing the bidding of his donors. So I want to play a clip from TYT Politics where Emma Viglin, she did a tremendous amount of research and what she uncovered... Um, won't be too surprising about Cory Booker.
2: Cory Booker was one of the senators who was the Pharma 13, who's so pro the pharmaceutical industry who receives massive amounts of donations from them. And now he's flipped and is wanting marijuana to be legal throughout the entire country. So I looked into it a little bit further and I saw this NASDAQ reports Pfizer, Merck and other big pharmas likely to acquire marijuana based drug companies. So let's break down one of the biggest companies listed that might acquire marijuana companies, Merck. Merck is based in New Jersey and is one of Cory Booker's biggest donors. Uh, Merck gave more money to Cory Booker than they did to any other candidate in 2014, giving him $12,500. For the other companies listed that might acquire these marijuana companies, uh, in 2014, Novartis gave $7,000 to Cory Booker, and Sanafi gave the same amount of money that was just in his 2014 election cycle.
0: So I'll have a link to the full video in the description box, and I would highly encourage you to watch it because Emma goes into a ton of details, and I didn't want to you know, uh, show too much of the video because I want to encourage you to watch it and support them. Uh, but you know, it, great job to Emma, kudos to you, because I think that what you uncovered here, it, it's pretty clear. So, I mean, Cory Booker, at the end of the day, is still doing the bidding of his donors in proposing legislation that uh, would legalize marijuana, potentially. Now, in this case, Cory Booker is still a corporate sellout, but it just so happened that we have one of those rare instances where corporate interests are starting to align with the interests of American voters. The last time we really saw something like this happen was in the early 2010s when big business started to really get on board and become more vocal about their support for marriage equality. Once it was clear that public opinion was shifting rapidly in that direction in the Democratic Party, they were cowards, they didn't want to get on board and full-throatedly support marriage equality. In fact, they didn't do so until 2012. That's when Obama endorsed it. And some people like Hillary Clinton didn't come out for marriage equality until 2013. That still blows my mind thinking about it, honestly. Uh, But the reason why they did this is because they had assurance from their donors that that's... That was okay. You know, in endorsing marriage equality, uh, that wouldn't offend their donors. That wouldn't turn over the apple cart. You know, they could still continue to be corrupt and take money from large multinational corporations and not offend them. And now we're starting to see that, you know, once these big companies, Big Pharma in particular, is seeing just how lucrative the marijuana business is, they're thinking, maybe it's the case that we don't actually hate marijuana after. all. maybe we want to get involved in the marijuana business. And because of this, because they are... Uh, funding the campaigns of people like Cory Booker, they have puppets already in Congress that can do their bidding for them. So look, regardless of how we get policy codified into law, uh, if it's good policy, if it's progressive policy, then I'm okay with that. But it doesn't change the fact that Cory Booker is still a corporate sellout. I mean, we have to be clear here. We're not tacitly endorsing Cory Booker in 2020 by supporting his bill. Objectively speaking, it's just good policy, and I think that all Democrats should get behind Cory Booker if he is willing to lead on this particular issue, even though he's leading for the wrong reasons. But, I mean, if he thinks that this is enough to win over progressives in 2020, it's not. I mean, if you truly want to win us over, then you've got to denounce all of your corporate donors, you got to swear to not take any money from super PACs, and you've got to actually campaign and raise money exclusively through grassroots methods so we know that you're not bought off. I mean this is a good thing that you're doing here, but I mean again you're doing it because your corporate donors are indicating, you know, and this is speculation of course, but you're doing this because they're okay with you doing it, or they kind of nudged you in the direction to do this. So you're not any less of a sellout, but you just happen to land on the right side of issues. So kudos to you for being on the right side of a, side of an issue, but you shouldn't be on the right side of an issue because of money. You should be on the right side of the issue, because that's what the American people want and expect from you. But nonetheless, uh, I absolutely uh, support this policy, and I really hope that more Democratic senators and some Republican senators who are a little bit more politically astute, namely Rand Paul, to a degree, uh, come on board and co-sponsor this piece of legislation. And I think that as progressives, we've got to push them in that direction, because this is a gigantic step uh, that could potentially catalyze nationwide legalization of marijuana. And that would be amazing. So as you all know, large multinational corporations are amoral. They don't have any morals. They typically ruin the planet and they ruin lives all to increase profits. That's their number one driver. Uh, their behavior will always be dictated by whatever makes them the most money. And they never admit that they're wrong. How often do you see a CEO come out and admit That they did something that was harmful to the environment or to a community of people. Almost. Never. However, there's an activist duo known as the Yes Men that has found a way to get multinational corporations to admit that they're pretty much pieces of shit. So now the way that they'll do this is they'll pose as an executive from multinational corporations and admit that the company has done something wrong, which will then prompt a response from said company where they'll basically have to come out and clarify that that's not actually their position. And even though it's the right position to take, you know, it makes them look bad nonetheless because that wasn't something that they said. And it's certainly something that they should be saying, so the yes men includes Andy Bichelbaum and Mike Bonanno, and they state that we're just two guys who, thanks to a network of ultra-capable friends and allies, infiltrate conferences, produce fake newspapers, and do various other weirdness in order to expose the wrongdoings of miscellaneous, mostly corporate evildoers. Oh, and we record the whole thing to get it out to the world through social media, news channels, and our own movies. Now, they add, we've never been able to hold down normal jobs except when posing as representatives of Halliburton, Exxon, Shell, Dow, and the federal government. So he's made a career out of it. A tactic we call identity correction. So they've been doing this now for two decades and here is a brief clip of
3: some of the stunts they've managed to pull off. Today is a great day for all of us at Dow and I think for millions of people around the world as well. It's 20 years since the disaster and today I'm very very happy to announce that for the first time, Dow is accepting full responsibility for the Bhopal catastrophe. So today I'm proud to say, we know what we have done wrong. In the next two years, we
0: will be undergoing an extensive review of our past operations and fully disclosing all of our problems. So I love this because in pretending to be an executive from Dow or Shell they'll come out hold a press conference or go on the news and apologize as the company and say look we're we're changing the way that we do business and that makes the company look like shit because they'll have to come out and say, no, we're actually not changing the way that we do business and we're not actually issuing an apology. And it just makes them look awful. And it's such a creative way to hold and ex- to hold them accountable and expose the wrongdoing of large multinational corporations. Now, the reason why I'm talking about the Yes Men on the show is because they're back and they have a brand new victim who they are exposing. And this time it is the dnc so at politicon one of the yes men posed as a dnc representative that was responding to criticism about the democratic party's recently announced better deal platform and in response said that you know they've been doing these uh studies to figure out what the party or, or what voters of the party wants and they've decided that voters are in fact in favor of progressive policies and the party is going to go in a new direction
3: as uh, senator schumer said last week uh, when you lose to somebody who has 40% popularity, you've got to take a good strong look in the mirror and ask yourself what happened. And I, I want to add that even more importantly than that, you want to ask what you can do differently next time uh, so as to win. And so those, that is what we've done. Uh, back in December, we started a series of town halls and focus groups uh, to determine what voters across the political spectrum needed and wanted and what we had failed to provide. Uh, And we we did that in order to understand how we could address those concerns in the future and win elections as we once did. Uh, We found that a solid majority of Americans wanted universal government-sponsored health care, and even almost half of all Republicans did. A majority wanted stronger unions, again, across the political spectrum, especially workers, but everyone. Uh, two-thirds of Americans wanted tuition-free college. Non-interventionism was very popular. As we know, a number of Trump voters voted that way because of his promises to keep us out of conflicts. Almost everyone in our survey and in the polls thinks that Wall Street has way too much influence, and many people would, said they would get rid of corporate lobbying altogether. Uh, once we had understood these concerns, that we had failed to address, we began to look at how we could do so in the future. And that's when we realized we couldn't. Our hands were tied, in large part because of our donors. Medicare for all would be a disaster for the insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies who are very important donors to our party. Uh, They loved Obamacare, uh, which, however, did not lower costs and Medicare for All, which would, uh, these companies did not like quite as much. Strong unions would be horrible for many of our friends in the management community. Uh, The schools that almost all of us hail from might not take so well to the idea of tuition-free colleges, which would bite into uh, some of their profits. It would be pretty hard for military contractors to give up the $400 billion uh, that flows their way in part stimulated by foreign interventions. And as for preventing corporations from lobbying in government or providing public financing of elections, it's hard to imagine that any of our donors would like that very much.
0: So that was absolutely brilliant and <laughs> to see the reactions you know, on people's faces in the audience you'd know that they were taken aback by what he said there because that's something that the DNC would never admit. I mean, they would never admit that we can't actually represent the people because we have to serve the interests of our corporate donors. So to hear him say that and to see their reactions— I mean, it was just golden. So now, uh, the DNC representative talked about what they're going to do differently going forward after he made this statement. And specifically, this is what the party uh, would be doing and fighting for.
3: Starting today, the Democratic Party is going to serve the people once again by fighting for what people need and want and that therefore win elections. And to begin doing that, we're going to aim to outlaw corporate lobbying in government and we're going to fight for the public financing of elections. That's what the DNC take back is all about, because better just isn't good enough.
0: Now, besides that, he talked about how the DNC was supposedly embracing a wholly progressive platform that not just includes Medicare for all, but includes even universal basic income, which they never support. So the things that he was proposing was awesome. And he began to take questions from the audience and the question of campaign finance came up and he talked about money and politics in a way that someone from the dnc would never talk about it
3: among our biggest donors are the insurance and pharmaceutical companies and we recognized that we could not offer a popular vote-winning election-winning solution without the stopping of uh taking donations from these donors and uh christine pelosi in february proposed um, a measure to uh, refuse corporate donations to the DNC, to make it impossible to donate uh, as a corporation to the DNC. We also need to go further than that. It's not enough for the party to refuse donations. We have to actually uh, prevent lobbying in government. Now, it's, it's, a, it's a form of institutionalized corruption that practically no other developed nation in the world has. Uh, lobbying in government should be illegal. It should be illegal for the largest corporations to have an outsized influence on the people that we uh, want to represent, us. We need to hear what policies are bad and what policies have worked and what, you know, and have an actual conversation with the absence or the relative absence of some of the voices that have been in this conversation too loudly. There have been a number of voices that have had megaphones. It's like a megaphone at a party. You know, a cocktail party with a giant megaphone. Got one guy with a megaphone. You don't really want that. we got to take that megaphone away so we can all talk. And, you know, I'm obviously talking about the large corporations, the, the, the big industries that have had an outsized influence in our democracy.
0: Now, in the last clip I want to play for you guys, um, he talked about how the Democratic Party moved away from voters in order to appease their donors and appease corporate interests and what they're going to be doing now differently.
3: As we moved more and more to the center, as we moved our, our uh, fealty, if you will, to a different class than we were built to represent, we became complacent. And we told ourselves that that class that we were made to represent would keep voting for us no matter what. Uh, This election was a real wake-up call where we found that many of the people who had believed the populist messages of 2008 and 2012 did not believe our messages in 2016. Very similar messages, but that was it. Um, They had had enough. We are looking at that and we are changing and, you know, that's the nature of politics. You know, things happen and you change according to what happens. And, um, you know, there's been resistance within the party, but we're finally taking those steps and we are becoming the kind of party that I think you will be proud of. The DNC as a policy is going to support candidates, is going to throw our weight behind candidates, Who um, espouse the sorts of platforms that haven't been seen in the last couple of decades, at least? But this is only a start. We're hoping over the next several months uh, to get to a point where we can say, "Yes, we will have uh, some of the older Democrats step aside. We will have some—not older, but some of the you know more centrist ones, perhaps the ones who's." Uh, policies have proven themselves not to work so well, step aside. Some of the highest profile uh, members of the Democratic Party are going to be making some announcements this next week, uh, following up on this, uh, to clarify what the better deal really is, uh, what DNC Take Back is all about. We've seen again and again voices at the state and local level speaking up and winning, even in very heavily Trump-supporting areas. Uh, So if we can see those kinds of voices winning locally, Uh, It's sort of like the writing is on the wall and anybody can see it.
0: (laughs) Now, I don't know if you caught it, but understand what he said at the end there. He implied that some centrist Democrats (laughs) would be making an announcement regarding presumably their resignation next week, which is just awesome to me, and everything he said there and confessed on behalf of the DNC, even though he was joking, it's 100% needed for the party if they ever want to be electorally viable again and win over progressives. And I really just want to take a moment here to reflect on how genius this is, because in talking about all of these policies the DNC is supposedly endorsing, he is basically forcing the DNC to admit that they're a gigantic piece of shit, and they're not in favor of these popular policies and they're not willing to uh get on board with what voters want and renounce their donors it's just brilliant to me so the question now is What was the response that this prompted from the DNC? Well, in a press release from the Yes Men, they state, One week after Democrats in Congress announced a better deal, better jobs, better wages, better future, a new populist economic agenda that has been criticized as grossly insufficient, a quote, DNC representative held a live-tweeted press conference in Pasadena before an audience of 100 to clarify some of the plan's lesser-known populist features. Medicare for All, desired by a strong majority of voters overall, according to a number of polls and even by 41% of Republicans, free college tuition, desired by 62% of all voters, stronger unions, by an ever-growing majority, and public campaign financing and the elimination of corporate lobbying. Large majorities of Americans feel corporations, the wealthy, and lobbyists have far too much influence in politics. Although videos of the event had garnered hundreds of thousands of views on Facebook and Twitter, and although the DNC take-back discussion remained vibrant on Twitter, there was no reaction at all from the DNC by Monday morning. Therefore, the Yes Men decided to send out an official DNC press release with more details on the better deal's supposed positions. So, what the DNC is trying to do is completely ignore that this happened. Now, the host of this event that was there that you saw in the video she wasn't in on the joke, and she actually came out and said, wow, I really would hope that they would embrace something like this because it's very popular and it's a, it's a way to make them exponentially more viable come 2018 and even 2020. So the irony here is that even though that guy from the Yes Men was just joking, he was pranking them, if they actually really did embrace what he was talking about, all the policy positions and renouncing corporate donations and fighting to ban lobbyists and you know uh, publicly fund elections— They would actually win. They would actually win if they embraced what this guy was joking about. But of course, they could never do that because like he said there, uh, there's truth in comedy. He said that they couldn't adopt any of these policies because they are beholden to their corporate overlords. Um, And really, they should listen to him because he gave them a winning strategy. He gave them a strategy that wouldn't make them more viable but you know it's the democratic party and they've showed time and again that they are incompetent (laughs) and they have no idea what they're doing and even if they did have a clue about what is needed for them to change to win uh they still probably wouldn't want to implement those changes so the party is a lost cause but i'm really glad that this so-called joke took place because really i mean he's giving them something that they should thank him for policies that are popular in an interview with Jake Tapper on CNN's State of the Union, Bernie Sanders talked about the upcoming single-payer health care bill that he will be introducing pretty soon. Now, during this interview, what Bernie Sanders wanted to emphasize was the importance of this bill, what it would do uh, and how it would benefit the American people. So this is what he had to say specifically.
4: Are you going to introduce single-payer? Absolutely. Of course we are. We're just, you know, we're tweaking the final uh, points of the bill. Uh, And we're figuring out how we can mount a national campaign to bring people together. Here's where we are, Jake, and it's important for Americans to understand this. We are the only major country on earth, the only one, not to guarantee health care to all people. The result is 28 million people who are uninsured, millions of people who are paying deductibles and copayments that are far too high. And if the Republicans had gotten their way, there would have been another 30 or 32 million people thrown off of health insurance. That is crazy. What we should do is move in the direction of every other major country, guarantee health care to all people as a right, not a privilege. Second thing you got to do is ask ourselves a very simple question, which my Republican friends and the president does not. Why is it that in America, per capita, we are spending far, far more on health care than do the people of any other country? Why are we paying by far the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs? compared to people all over the world. Those are the issues we've got to tackle. And I think the answer is pretty obvious. What we have now is a healthcare system not designed to guarantee healthcare to all of our people in a cost-effective way. What we have is a dysfunctional, complicated healthcare system designed to make as much profit as possible for insurance companies and drug
0: companies. So, everything that Bernie Sanders said there was reasonable. So, it's obviously the case that we spend more per capita on healthcare than other countries. We pay more for prescription drugs and we don't get better results. So, of course, single payer is the objectively best option, both in terms of better healthcare costs and results. And rather than educating his viewers about the benefits of single payer and talking about Canada and the UK, Jake Tapper decided to muddy the waters about single payer healthcare and actually challenge Bernie
3: Sanders on this issue. Well, let I mean let's talk about single payer because it was attempted in your home state of Vermont, uh, and it and it didn't work because they couldn't get the funding because it would be too expensive. the The Democratic governor said, and then recently it was it failed in California as well. Democrats again not able to come up with a way no. to pay for it. These are cobalt blue states, Vermont and California, where people wanted single payer, um, and there were problems because it would cost too much. How do you make it national if you can't even get it in Vermont well, or California? Well,
4: not. No, 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 no. No, let's Jake. Let's be let's be careful about this. All right. A single payer health care system, in my view, and according to studies that I have seen, would save the average family significant sums of money. And what Republicans sometimes do is confuse the issue. And they say, well, you're going to pay more in taxes. What they forget to tell you is that if you are a family of four now paying 15 or 20 thousand dollars a year in private health insurance, you're not going to be paying that at all. Once again. If you look at Canada's single-payer health care system, per capita, their, their costs are far, far less than the United States. If you look at the UK, if you look at countries around the world, all of, one, diff- all of which have different approaches to a national health care system, in every instance, they are spending substantially less per capita than we spend in the United States, substantially less for prescription drugs. The problem with our system is it is so complicated for the consumer, for the doctors, is that a hospital, for example, might be dealing with 15, 20, 30 different insurance policies. It takes an enormous amount of time, energy, and expense to figure out that you have a $5,000 deductible, you have a $10,000 deductible. The goal simply is to say that every person in this country, through a single-payer system, is entitled to a comprehensive healthcare approach And that will save substantial sums of money in administrative costs, substantial sums of money in lower prescription drug costs, substantial sums of money in doing away with the profiteering of the drug companies. By the way, the five top drug companies in 2015 Mm -hmm. made $50 billion in profit. These CEOs in the healthcare industry make enormous salaries. We should join the rest of the world, begin that discussion immediately, and I will be introducing legislation to do just that.
0: So first of all, I'll just say that I don't have a problem with Jake Tapper challenging Bernie Sanders or even challenging the idea of single payer, even though it's a fact that it's the best option, objectively speaking. But the problem is that he's being incredibly disingenuous here because he's conflating the inability of single-payer to be passed in states like Vermont and California with single-payer as policy, generally speaking. Just because it hasn't passed doesn't mean it's bad policy. You can't say that it's been tried but failed. The law hasn't even been put into place in Vermont and California, and whether or not it's good policy is a different subject than its ability to muster political support. But still, it's reported by Jake Tapper here as if single-payer passed but was ultimately unsuccessful policy when that's not the case at all. It never passed, so we don't know if it would have worked in Vermont or California. Now, he's not saying this directly, but he's implying that because single-payer can't pass in, quote, cobalt blue states like California and Vermont, that it's not good policy. This is the underlying implication. Now, the assumption here is that it failed to pass in these states because these bills just didn't include funding mechanisms. But the problem with this argument is that there are funding mechanisms, but corporate Democrats don't want to fund it because they're taking money from... From health insurance companies. So, with respect to California, the bill in its current form did lack a funding mechanism because proponents of the bill didn't agree on which funding mechanism they wanted to pursue. However, there were multiple methods that were actually being floated that could have funded the bill entirely. But rather than allowing any type of debate to take place, Speaker Anthony Rendon, who is a shill for the health insurance industry, decided to shelve the bill entirely. He decided to shut down debate. So, Because corporate Democrats don't want to fund it doesn't mean that you can't fund it. As Dina Turner stated, if we can go to the moon, we can get Medicare for all and certainly other countries have worked it out. They figured out a way to fund it, and certainly we can figure out a way to fund wars. I mean, we, we put wars on the credit card. We get pretty creative when it comes to killing people in Middle East and North African countries, so I'm pretty sure that we can come up with some way to fund Medicare for All. But understand that Jake Tapper here, again, he's being disingenuous because he wants you to think that because Corporate Democrats, they don't want to fund it. That must mean that there's no way to fund it. It's impossible. That's not true. That's a lie. So the takeaway is that if other countries can do it, so can we. But Jake Tapper here is borrowing this line that we can't fund it straight from health insurance companies, many of which probably advertise on CNN, mind you, in order to make you think that it's impossible when it's not impossible. Now, another thing I want to get to here in this clip, Bernie Sanders said that according to the studies that he's seen, single payer would save average Americans money. uh, But, quote, what Republicans sometimes do is confuse the issue and say that you're going to pay more in taxes. But what they forget to tell you is... If you're a family of four now paying fifteen dollars or $20,000 a year in private insurance, you're not going to be paying that at all. So this is a really important point to make here. But I honestly think that Bernie Sanders is being too kind in stating that only Republicans make this assertion because the same media network that he's on has also muddied the waters with respect to this very subject in terms of how much taxes will go up and how much money... Uh, taxpayers will ultimately save as a result of single payer. Now, I'm going to play a clip from you uh back from a town hall with Bernie Sanders back in January of 2016 where he talked about single payer and I want to then show you how the media reported on what he said.
4: But just to be clear, you are going to raise taxes to do this. Yes, we will raise we will raise the we will raise taxes. Yes, we will. But also let us be clear, Chris, because there's a little bit of disingenuity out there. We may raise taxes, but we are also going to eliminate private health insurance premiums for individuals and for business. all right next question now what he said there was clear you'll be paying more for taxes
0: yes that is the case however in exchange you'll be saving money even though you'll be paying higher taxes because you'll no longer have to pay your monthly insurance premiums now can you guess which portion the so-called liberal media decided to report on with respect to that quote So let's take a look msnbc's headline read bernie sanders we will raise taxes yes we will the hill read we will raise taxes yes we will washington examiner said the same thing we will raise taxes yes we will mike.com the same thing we will raise taxes yes we will and when it comes to world net daily care to take a guess Bernie Sanders, we will raise taxes, yes, we will, and the same is true for the Fiscal Times, Breitbart, Yahoo News, The Daily Caller, and so on, but since CNN actually had Bernie Sanders on, and they had the full context, of course, they would report on what Bernie Sanders said in a less misleading way, right? Well, not actually, so their headline also focused exclusively on taxes as well, saying Sanders breaks with campaign tradition, calling for tax cuts, and they then go on to talk about how unprecedented it is for a democratic candidate to do that and the only outlet that really had a semi-accurate headline was from AOL which yes surprisingly they do still exist and their headline stated we'll raise taxes but people will save money so with the exception of AOL really There's no room for nuance whatsoever. Taxes is a bad word. If you say it, we're going to dismiss everything you have to say and focus exclusively on that. So understand why people typically dislike taxes. It's because you don't like that money is coming out of your paychecks. You think either that you should be paying less money or that the rich should be paying more. So you want more money in your pocket. That's why you dislike taxes. But even though what Bernie Sanders is proposing here would facilitate working-class Americans having more money in their pockets because they wouldn't have to pay for monthly health insurance premiums, well, he said taxes, and that's a bad word. So again, there's absolutely no room for nuance. And this example is one of the many ways that the media tries to spread misinformation and muddy the waters with respect to not just single-payer, but many issues. And Jake Tapper did just that. He tried to mislead people, and he put forward this disingenuous argument about single-payer. Now, of course, Bernie Sanders, what he did was he made a really strong pitch for single pair. I think that everything he said to Jake Tapper was what I would have said. So, of course, Jake Tapper, you know, being the more reasonable person on CNN, he actually internalized what Bernie Sanders said and decided to accept what Bernie Sanders said, right? No, that's not what he did at all. In fact, he decided to challenge Bernie Sanders again and post him the same exact question again. Well,
3: why why couldn't this happen in Vermont then? I mean, what's the issue in Vermont? Vermont would be
4: a... a, It would seem to be a a a, perfect test case. Well, this is... Politically, this is difficult. And by the way, in California, the debate is not over. It passed, I think, the Senate. It's now gone to the House, and that debate will continue. Look, taking on the insurance companies and the drug companies, taking on Wall Street, taking on a lot of very powerful forces that make billions of dollars a year from the current health care system is not going to be easy. And it's not going to take place until millions of people get involved in their struggle. And appreciate the fact that whether you're rich or whether you're poor, health care is a right. The idea, the idea that the Republicans wanted to throw 32 million people off of health insurance, cut Medicaid by $800 billion, raise premiums for older workers, defund Planned Parenthood, make it almost impossible for people to have a pre-existing, who have pre-existing conditions, get the health care they need. That is abominable. That is moving Mm -hmm. in exactly the wrong direction. So we need a serious discussion about a serious issue. And I believe at the end of the day, the American people will conclude that Medicare for all. Medicare is working now for people 65 or older. Let's expand it to everyone.
0: So again, Bernie Sanders was spot on and Jake Tapper here. He's being very disingenuous. He's doing the agenda of the network, specifically the advertisers of the network, Uh, and he doesn't want single-payer because that would affect the bottom line, more. actually affect more than the bottom line of health insurance companies. This threatens them existentially, right? So, he doesn't want single-payer, and this is one of the ways that the media tries to mislead the public about single-payer, but you need to be cognizant Of their tactics and how misleading they are but again we shouldn't be surprised yes it is the case that jake tapper is probably one of the better anchors on cnn but at the end of the day a propaganda outlet is going to do what it does best spread propaganda and mislead the american people Last week on the show, we talked about the Democratic Party's so-called New Deal platform, which in actuality is mediocre at best. But nonetheless, the party, you know, in spite of criticism it's received, they've chosen to stand by it. And in an interview with Chris Wallace on Fox News, Nancy Pelosi tried to explain just how beneficial this better deal actually is. And of course, she brought up the better deal, even though she was asked something (laughs) entirely different. The Democratic leader in the
1: Senate, Chuck Schumer said something interesting the other day, and I want to ask you about it. We're going to put it on the screen. When you lose to somebody who has 40% popularity, you don't blame other things, Comey, Russia. You blame yourself. So what did we do wrong? People didn't know what we stood for, just what that we were against Trump and still believe that. We're going to get to your new agenda in a minute, but I want to ask you the specific question, do you agree with Senator Schumer that Russia and Comey were not what beat Hillary Clinton.
5: Well, I think that that they had an influence. There's absolutely no no question about that. But when you have a campaign, you're responsible for your campaign. I don't even want to go into that. I do want to go into our Better Deal. Okay, that let me ask.
1: You, I'm going to ask you about it because yeah. Democrats put out a new agenda this week called a Better Deal. Let's put some of it up on the screen. You call for higher wages, lower prescription drug costs, as you just yeah. said, job training, infrastructure. Leader Pelosi, I'm not saying anything, any of that is wrong. Right. What I am saying is that none of it is new. We've been hearing it for years. We heard it from the Democrats and Hillary Clinton in 2016, and you lost.
5: No, well, well we're going to hear it with more clarity. For the first time since 2006, the House, the Congressional Democrats are in charge of the message. In 06, we were in charge. We won. We had a Democratic president after that in 08, and for that, and that time on a very successful presidency. Now it is our turn to win the Congress for the American people. But elections are more about than about winning the election. They're about having a discussion about how we go but forward. But they're all
1: about winning the election. That's no, what an no, election.
5: No, it's about winning on the on the issues. I mean, in other words, if the American people can hold all of us, Democrats and Republicans, accountable for what is in their interest, instead of a trickle down agenda that really benefits the high end at the expense of working families. That's why a better deal is important, and it is entrepreneurial and it's thinking, it's fresh. So Chris Wallace told her that
0: they've said these same things before. Really what they're proposing is nothing new and, you know, he's right there. Uh, But Nancy Pelosi is confident that it's going to work This time, because we're going to hear it with more clarity. We're
5: going to hear it with more clarity. Well,
0: great, because I actually would like some clarity on a number of issues. The first one is single payer. I mean, where does the party stand on Medicare for All? Well, sure, many things are on the table. Okay, so that sounds pretty reassuring there. They're not in favor of Medicare for All. So, I mean, this clarity that she's talking about, you know, but sounds great, but I haven't seen it. There's no more clarity. There's still... (laughs) <laughs> not coming around to the issues that grassroots activists have been pressuring them to come around to. So I, I just can't see how you're standing by this and you're not listening to the criticisms that we have. I mean, it, it's a losing strategy. But Nancy Pelosi, she oversaw the Democratic Party's march off of a cliff. So of course, she doesn't have, you know, the the winning strategy and she doesn't know anything about clarity and messaging. Uh, but I want to talk about one other thing that she said here that was pretty important. So she stated um It's about winning on the issues, because it's not about winning. So, in other words, if the American people can hold all of us, Democrats and Republicans, accountable, what is in their interest, instead of a trickle-down agenda, that really benefits the high end at the expense of working families. Uh, That's why a better deal is important. Now, first of all, prior to saying this in the clip, I don't know if you caught it, but she actually implied that Obama's presidency was successful, but seconds later, she then talked about trickle-down economics. Obama did that, Nancy. Obama did just that. Democrats did that. Hillary Clinton argued for trickle-down economics in the midst of her 2016 presidential campaign. So voters know that they've gotten a shitty deal under Democrats and that's not going to change, hence why they don't bother to come out and vote for Democrats. But what Nancy Pelosi is doing now is she's trying to convince us that now they're actually going to fight for a better deal for us and (laughs) that she wants us to hold them accountable when we've been trying to do that and they've just been ignoring us. mean, we want you to support single-payer, but you refuse to support single-payer. We want you to get on board with tuition-free public colleges and universities, and you refuse to do that. So, I mean, if you want us to hold you accountable, then listen to what we're saying and- Take what we're saying and internalize it and change based on what we're saying. I mean, all you have to do is look at public opinion polls to see where the country is headed. I mean, we are in favor of legalizing marijuana in all 50 states. We're in favor of Medicare for all. But the party has not full-throatedly endorsed any of these policies. Why not? Oh, it's because their donors don't want them to endorse these policies. So I think it's hilarious that she talks about how she wants us to hold them accountable. But I mean, they've given us every indication that they hate it when we hold them accountable and they don't listen to us. And on this subject of a better deal... The working class didn't get a very good deal under Obama because all of the income gains over the last several years went to the 1%. Now, furthermore, under the Democratic Party's so-called better deal, if you're a woman, you're really not going to be getting a better deal. In fact, you're going to be getting a shittier deal. And you heard me right. The party that claims to care about women, who always talks about equal pay, well, they're choosing to abandon a core issue of the party because they have opened the door for another word shift, but this time on the issue of abortion. So, The Hill reports that Democrats will not withhold financial support for candidates who oppose abortion rights, the chairman of the party's campaign arm in the House said in an interview with The Hill. There is not a litmus test for Democratic candidates, said Luan, Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee's chairman. As we look at candidates across the country, you need to make sure you have candidates that fit the district that can win these districts across America. So, by saying that we need candidates that can better fit these districts, what they're really saying is that, you know, we're going to allow our candidates to move as far to the right as they need to win. And this doesn't just mean that they're going to be moving to the right on abortion with respect to certain red districts, but on other issues as well. So, I mean, The Democratic Party, they have no idea why they keep losing, but they have no ideological consistency whatsoever, Yeah, they're trying to get us to believe that they're in favor of this mediocre New Deal and that 100% of Democrats are on board with it. How can we believe that you're on board with anything when you guys run candidates from the left to the center right i mean what does the party stand for it's a problem that has plagued the party now for decades and they don't they don't have an answer for you but this interview getting back to the interview and the substance of it it took a more hilarious turn when nancy pelosi was asked about the criticism that she's received from fellow democrats there were four special house elections
1: this spring in which there were Republican seats that were open because they took jobs in the Trump administration, let me finish, in the Trump administration, and you lost all four of them. Some of your own Democratic colleagues in the House say part of the problem is that you and your leadership team are frankly too old. And, And the question I have is, does, do Democrats need new leaders with new ideas?
5: Well, let me just say this. Self-promotion is a terrible thing, but somebody's got to do it. Exactly. And I think that <laughs> I in the situation that. that we are in, uh, I am a master legislator. I know the budget to the nth degree. I know the motivation of people. I respect the people who are in Congress, I think this is a great moment for those of us who understand what is at stake with the Affordable Care Act, uh, what our possibilities are in terms of working together with the Republicans, as has been our experience in the past. So I'm, I'm, I feel very confident about the support I have in my caucus. I have me, never, I one. have never not been opposed within my caucus, and it had nothing to do with the four. Suppose you became president and you were a Democrat, and you, you. Uh, a point at your cabinet, one from San Francisco, one from Berkeley, one from Brooklyn, one from Santa Monica. Do you think that the Republicans could have ever won those seats? Okay. These seats but, were not seats.
1: Well, I've got 30 okay. seconds, and, and the question is, what are the chances Democrats win back the House yes. in 2018, and if so, will you run for speaker?
5: That's uh, so unimportant. What is important is that we have the lively debate on a better deal better pay, better, uh, better jobs, and a better future. And that's what we look forward to having. And we have unity in our party. You saw it with the fight on the Affordable Care Act in the House and in right. the Senate. We're very proud of uh, the fact that our party has diverse thinking in it. We can accommodate that.
1: Leader Pelosi, thank you. Thanks for coming in. Please come back.
5: Thank you, my pleasure, It's Nice to be with you. And thank you for being a guardian of our democracy the press well thank you for that thank you
0: okay so first of all stop calling yourself a master legislator stop doing that second of all you called a fox news anchor a guardian of democracy i mean if you if you're a liberal that's a mortal sin you can't do that that's a no-no fox news is the propaganda arm of the republican party and you're calling him a guardian guardian of democracy I mean, Jesus Christ, Nancy, and, and of course, nothing she said here was substantive, and all she could do was pivot back to the shitty slogan that the Democratic Party came up with, ripping off Papa John's, and of course, she fucked it up, kind of. <laughs> so, um, the takeaway here is that Nancy Pelosi, she's just a, a complete lost cause. There's no sense in trying to get her to change her mind, even though she wants you to hold her accountable, or says she does, because Nancy Pelosi doesn't know her asshole from her elbow. She's clueless. She's lost. She has no idea what the party needs to do to actually appeal to voters. So the only way to actually affect change... And to stop Nancy Pelosi is to just kick her out of Congress. So if you go to jaffe you can contribute to a real progressive. And he absolutely has my stamp of approval. I've endorsed Stephen Jaffe, who, of course, is Nancy Pelosi's challenger in 2018. And I can very confidently say that he would be a phenomenal member of Congress. And when you juxtapose someone like Stephen Jaffe, who's a true progressive who actually wants to fight for the people against the corporate Democrat, at least on you know the issue of Medicare for all the difference is very clear. So let's recall how Chuck Schumer responded to the idea of Medicare for all. Well, sure, many things are on the table. And when Nancy Pelosi was asked about it, this was her response.
3: A lot of Americans still want to see changes to the health care system sure, in America. Of course. Do you feel like the move for Democrats now is to make single payer a plank in the 2018 platform? No.
0: I don't. Now, here's how Stephen Jaffe responded when I asked him if he would co-sponsor John Conyers' single-payer bill. Before we move on to campaign finance, um, so just so that way viewers are clear, you would co-sponsor H.R. 676 if you were elected? Uh,
3: if you, I don't know the number. That's uh, John Conyers' bill, I think it is.
0: Correct, John Conyers' yes, bill.
3: Absolutely. Excellent, A- excellent. Yes, my my one-word answer is either take your pick, yes or absolutely. <laughs>
0: So, I mean, after watching Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer completely botch the question on Medicare for All and seeing how Stephen Jaffe, a real progressive, answers the question, there's no competition. I mean, the choice is clear. You can have someone like Stephen Jaffe who cares about you or someone like Nancy Pelosi who doesn't give a shit about you. So, this better deal that the Democratic Party is offering you... It's not a better deal. It's the same deal that they've been giving you, which is nothing. Crumbs at anything, if we're lucky. So, I mean, it's not a better deal. It's the same shit in different packaging. They just want you to believe that the party has changed when they haven't changed, and they're not going to change. The only way to effect change is to kick them out of office, and you could do that by helping the progressive campaigns of their challengers like Stephen Jaffe. So, I want to tell you about a couple of students from the Ringling College of Art. Their names are Beth David and Esteban Bravo, and they completed a project as part of their studies, Uh, and their project entailed them creating a four-minute short film featuring a kid that had a crush on another kid. But, trigger warning, the kid in this film was gay. Now, the question is, why exactly do we care about this harmless short film? Well, <laughs> this film went viral um, and it caused conservatives to lose their fucking shit. Uh, and when I say they lost their shit, they lost it. Now, the portion of conservatives I'm referring to, they're not libertarians. They are who I like to call right-wing SJWs or social injustice warriors, because even though they like to lambast left-wingers, you know, SJWs on college campuses, like we all do, for getting triggered too easily, they do the same thing. They get just as easily offended, but perhaps by dumber things. I mean, they're offended by a cartoon. So now, of course, there is a plethora of examples that you could find on the internet of butthurt that was caused by this particular film, uh, but we're going to focus on Huffington Post because you would think that, you know, with a liberal publication like Huffington Post, you wouldn't see too much pushback from their readership, but that's not really the case. So in a Facebook post, they shared one of the articles that was written about their short film titled, In a Heartbeat is the Gay Animated Love Story We've Been Waiting For but apparently, their viewers weren't too excited about it. One of the top comments read, I just think it's funny how the gay community will talk about dealing with bullying and name-calling because of their sexuality, but as soon as someone disagrees with them, they start bashing and name-calling. Makes sense. Now, of course, you couldn't really find much name-calling in here because all of the conservative anti-gay comments were uploaded to the top, but really, what they're talking about here, you know, the bullying on behalf of LGBT people, comes from us calling them bigots when they make bigoted statements. So that's bullying to them. Calling them an asshole when they're being an asshole is bullying. Makes sense. (laughs) Now, other comments iterated the same sentiment. No, sicken me to my stomach. More like it. Just more propaganda being used to recruit kids into choosing the gay lifestyle. Knowing your community can only grow through recruitment. The LGBT community does all it can to influence the minds of children. Sick, perverse, godless scum. Stop brainwashing kids' minds, sick bastards. Ew, come on, why are kids gotta be exposed to this? I'm not against people being gay, but animation is clearly a ploy towards kids. I mean, seriously, we wonder why kids dress and behave the way most kids do now. People need to be more responsible with what they post. Trying to normalize homosexuality to children? Despicable! Let them be kids unburdened by lust and sin. What the fuck? Why animated? Brainwashing kids. It's gay propaganda. Let kids grow up to make up their own mind. Brainwashing at a young age. Wow, the intolerant sodomites and liberals are seriously getting unhinged when you go against their perverse agenda. Insist it's a birth defect, yet you cannot provide a shred of scientific evidence of that. They need Jesus. What an emotionally sick story. The mentally deranged are over the limit of my tolerance. Always gotta make everything gay pedophile movie. Hey, old school Democrats, this is what your party has been turned into, a movement that pushes the gay agenda on our children. Are you proud of that? Cartoons about homosexuality? Let it sink in. Your vote promotes this. But to be fair, they weren't all bad, and one of the comments managed to muster quite a bit of... Um, upvotes on this thread, if you will, uh, that basically stated everything I was thinking. So, this poster said, I, along with many other gays my age, had nothing but 120-minute straight animated films available to us as children, Aladdin, Little Mermaid, and I still grew up to be lesbian as fuck. I highly doubt a four-minute animated film will turn all your children homo. That's not what it's about. Yeah, and really, that's exactly it. If you really could recruit someone into a certain type of lifestyle, then I'm pretty sure I would have turned out to be straight because I had straight parents. I also had four older siblings, two brothers and two sisters, all of which thoroughly heterosexual. And yet, me, for some reason, even though I was brainwashed into the straight lifestyle, I turned out to be as queer as a $3 bill. Why is that the case? It's almost as if we don't choose what we are, what we turn into when we're older we're just we're born a certain way, and that's the way it is, and furthermore, even if we could choose what's the big deal? who cares? Get over it so I mean this is just one of many examples that show even though we do have a problem on the left with s j w s trying to stifle free speech on college campuses because they get triggered too easily by stupid, benign things. right wingers are just as easily triggered by perhaps even number things, a gay cartoon. Cause them to have a complete meltdown, and we're supposed to take them seriously? We're supposed to take them serious as actors who actually care about bettering the country? If you truly are politically minded, if you care about any types of policies, then why don't you move on from these social issues, identity politics, and focus on the policy issues? that really do affect your life. I mean, why are you harping on something that society clearly has moved up on from? You know, certainly with respect to the US. Why? Why dwell on this? It's so stupid. Nobody cares. I don't care if you're gay. I don't care if you're straight. I don't care if you tattoo all of your skin green and choose to live as a frog person. I don't give a fuck. What I care about is the policy ideals that I want implemented into law. And if you're a conservative, why isn't it the same thing just with respect to opposite policies? Why are you choosing to dwell on dumb shit? And really, yes, again, I want to restate here that left-wing SJWs on college campuses, they're a problem but the difference is that they're mocked by the left and the right, you know? They're mocked by everyone and they have no institutional power, whereas right-wing SJWs, they have all the power. They're in control of all branches of government right now. So, it seems like for every left-wing SJW that is triggered easily and calling for safe spaces on college campuses, uh, there's about 10 more right-wing SJWs that are just as easily triggered by something even dumber. So, here's something that I want to propose to those of you, you know, against SJWs on the left and the right. How about this? How about we all come together and agree to stop losing our minds over the most dumb, benign, banal, nonsensical shit? How about that? How about we focus on things that really matter? Because getting outraged over a gay cartoon I mean, how does that serve you? Your kids aren't going to be recruited into any type of lifestyle. Uh, As a gay person, I don't give a shit if your kids are gay. Just raise them to not be an asshole. That's all I care about. So, you know, (laughs) this was just, this made me laugh quite a bit. But, you know, at the same time, even though it's humorous, it's still pretty sad because you think that we made a lot of progress, but really, there's still a lot of people that are holding the country back, being triggered by a cartoon. Again, I mean... (laughs) I mean, of all the things to worry about. If a cartoon is high on your list of priorities, then uh, you've got issues. Thank you so much for being a Humanist Report viewer. Um, As usual, I've got to send a huge thank you to the Patreon patrons and the PayPal contributors. Um, And just thank you all so much for helping out the show and supporting independent media because that is incredibly important in an age where large multinational corporations have full control of our cable news networks. It's just it's unacceptable so we have to fight back uh and this is one way to do it so thank you all so much for being part of that effort um and hopefully this episode didn't suck too bad because in portland oregon it's over 100 degrees today and there's no ac in this room the lights are shining on me and i feel like my brain is melting so i don't even know if what i said make made any sense today um (laughs) so if the episode is shit i apologize in advance for that i'm gonna have to watch it back and try to finesse it but yeah anyways um i'll see you all next week take care